Our text for today is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, verses 23 through 26. Uh, we are sort of in a uh, in-between phase, I guess I'll call it. Um, we finished our sermon series last week that we've been going through for over a year now, and we will begin our Palm Sunday and our Holy Week services uh, April 1st. So during the interim, we're going to kind of do some one-off sermons on just different subjects, and today we're having the Lord's Supper, so we're talking about the Lord's Supper. All right, our passage is found in 23 through, 20, uh, 23 through 26, chapter 11. You have it there in your bulletins. These are the words of the living God. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for inviting us into your presence. We thank you that you come here to renew covenant with us every week. Um, that you love us, that you forgive us, and that you wash us, and you make us new, and you strengthen us, and get us ready uh, for what you have prepared for us in the coming week. We pray that you would do just that today, and we pray that as we go through this text, that you would help us to be attentive to the explicit details of it, uh, on how we are to go about having uh, this meal Together, I pray that you would remove any distractions, any um, anything that may hinder us from receiving what you would have us to hear and to see in your word today. Uh, help me to get out of the way, Lord. Uh, fill me with your spirit, uh, brood over your congregation by your spirit, and work in our midst uh, for our good and for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, in the day in which we are living, uh, there is a lot of talk about how-to guides. There is a how-to guide pretty much for everything uh, in the day in which we're living. You know, how to, uh, there's a how-to guide on how to have your best experience when you go camping, uh, how-to guide for uh, how to have a good marriage, how to uh, have kids that behave. Well, I don't, maybe that's not possible. Um, there are these quick and friendly user guides that are supposed to give us direction and advice on how we are to go about doing things. And what, today, what I want to do today is look at a how-to guide for the Lord's Supper. Uh, the Lord's Supper is most fundamental to our faith, and God has given us explicit details in His Word on how we are to go about it, and we ought to be careful uh, to do that. Um, we ought to pay attention to what he has said. And just as any how-to guide, our how-to guide today is going to give us the parts uh, that we are going to need uh, for what we're going to do, the pieces that we have to have in place in order to celebrate this meal properly, the instructions on how we are to go about it, and then the finished product, which is the result of doing the Lord's 
Supper when we follow the biblical pattern or the tradition, as it were, uh, as it's set down for us in Scripture. So three things today, the parts, uh, the instructions, and the finished product. Very simple. Parts, instructions, finished product. We look at that first piece of the guide, the parts, in verse 23. Let's look at that again together. We read, Therefore I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and I'll read in here uh, verse 24, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. So what Paul says here is that he is communicating to us what he received from the Lord. Uh, And the two words that we need to pay attention to for our study here are uh, received and delivered. Received and delivered, which are technical terms that Paul uses elsewhere uh, to describe traditions as they were passed down or handed down to him. For instance, later on in Paul's letter to the Corinthians in chapter 15, he says, he, he, he uses the same language when he's talking about the gospel. He says, I deliver to you which I first received. And he gives them the gospel, right? Uh, and a very famous passage where we get the, the common core gospel truths there, 1 Corinthians 15. Then in, first, uh, in, in his letter to the Thessalonians, he does something very similar. He tells them that they are to hold to the traditions as he has given them to them, and that they are to follow them exactly as they have been given, and that they are not to uh, depart from them. Uh, and why is that? Well, because they are apostolic traditions. In other words, these are divine traditions. Uh, when Paul says, I'm giving you what I received from the Lord, he's saying, I'm passing down to you divine words. Giving you divine words right from the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. These are the divine words of institution. He's handing them over just as they were most likely handed over to him by the apostles after they heard them from Jesus. So the apostles get them from Jesus and then they deliver them to the church. Later on, Paul gets it uh, from them most likely. So what So what Paul is doing here is he is handing down what he received, and that is what we have been doing for millennia in the church. Uh, We are taking what the church has handed down to us in order to get uh, instructions and to get a formula for how we are to go about doing the Lord's uh, Supper. Now, where do they come from? Well, they come directly from the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ, as I said, when he instituted uh, the first Lord's Supper during Passover. So we would do well to study the details of this rite. First of all, because they come directly from the mouth of God, they come directly from the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ, and also, this is one of the only ceremonies that God has given us to perform in the church until he comes. Did you know that? There are only two sacraments in the New Testament church, baptism and the Lord's Supper. And by the way, we're going to talk about baptism next week. There are only two sacraments that God has given us in the church to perform until Jesus Christ comes. And it is through the preaching of the word and it is through the administration of the sacraments that God delivers his grace over to us. It's through these things. So it's important for us to get these things right. Now, if you look back at the old covenant, there were tons of ceremonies and rituals that the people were to perform and they were given explicit details on how they were to go about doing them And if they biffed them up, that was it. They were toast. You remember the story of Nadab and Abihu, right? Who came in and they thought that they could worship God however they wanted, whenever they wanted, and they were literally consumed with fire. 
And again, we are uh, Reformed people, and we hold to a regulative principle of worship, which says God has expressly commanded in Scripture what he wants us to do. And he does that either by an explicit statement or through pattern and example. And if it's not there, if we can't find it in Scripture in one of these ways, we are not to do it. We're not to do it in our worship. Now, if there are only two ceremonies that we're to perform in the New Covenant, you think about the Old Testament church, and they had tons of ceremonies that they were due, and we only have two ceremonies that we're to perform, and it is through these ceremonies, one of the ways that God communicates his grace to us most preeminently is through these ceremonies, it's important for us to get it right, don't you think? It's important for us to pay attention to what he has told us to do. Um, And I believe that the devil likes nothing more than to get us off base when it comes to these things. Why would that be? Well, because the devil doesn't want us getting grace. Why doesn't he want us? He knows that's where God gives us grace, right? The devil doesn't want us getting grace. Why doesn't he want us having grace? Because he can keep us in bondage, right? And it's interesting, if you think about it, the two things that have been most controversial in the church over the last 2,000 years are baptism and the Lord's Supper. And friends, that is not an accident. That is the work of the enemy. As a matter of fact, it is these two issues, while they are two of the main issues, that divide the church. Uh, between the Catholic Church and the Protestant Church. It's these issues of baptism and the Lord's Supper. And even in two of the biggest denominations, if you will, in uh, the Protestant Church, the Presbyterian Church and the Baptist Church, these are the issues that divide us. Well, baptism is anyway. Uh, We agree with our Reformed Baptist brothers on the Lord's Supper. Um, But these are very controversial issues in the church, and the devil doesn't want us to get them right. Why not? Could you think about just for a moment, what the church would be like if we were united on these issues. And there was no more division in the church. The whole church was united and the church was one. How powerful would that be? But the devil doesn't want that. So what do we have to do to get united? How do we get united together on these issues? How do we come to agreement? Well, we have to stop following man-made traditions. Simple as that. If you follow man-made traditions, you're always going to have one man saying this and another man saying that. We have to follow the traditions as they have been handed down to us in scriptures. This is to say we have to, say what, we have to look and see what the Bible says about it. <laughs> so what does the Bible say about how we are to go about doing these things? First of all, there are two elements in the Lord's Supper, bread and wine. Bread and wine. Two elements, bread and wine. At the first Lord's Supper, they were celebrating the Passover at which they would have had unleavened bread, which Jesus would have used to institute the Lord's Supper. Now, some people quibble over whether you use leavened bread or unleavened bread, but I don't think that that is the point. I think the point is is that he used bread. He didn't use crackers or wafers or Doritos or any of these other silly things that we see being used in the church today. He used bread. And uh, where did this idea come from where we started using other things. Well, first of all, initially you get the wafers from the Catholic Church. And why did the Catholic Church begin doing this? Well, because they have an unbiblical view of the Lord's Supper. Right? When 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 the doctrine of transubstantiation was developed, which says that you literally have the body of Christ and the blood of Christ in the bread and the wine, uh, they got worried about people spilling the cup. Because when you spill that cup, you literally have the blood of Jesus on the floor then, right? And when they eat that bread and some crumbs come off, you literally have the body of Christ on the floor. And so they went over to these 
uh, to these wafers. Um, and so that is where the, uh, um, where the change came. But, uh, I mean, we're doing all kinds of crazy stuff with it today. I've seen Kool-Aid and Doritos and Clown Communion and just ridiculous stuff. It's just absurd. So, first of all, Jesus used bread. He used bread, okay? Simple, simple as can be. Two elements, bread and wine. Second, he used wine. How often do you see wine being used in the Lord's Supper? You don't see it in uh, most of uh, the churches, uh, um, but that would not have been the case a hundred years ago. Uh, Before prohibition, as far as I understand, before prohibition and before this teetotaler movement where we got this idea that wine or that alcohol is a bad thing and is an evil thing, you would have had wine in your communion. And apparently Jesus didn't think there was anything wrong with it because Jesus drank wine. As a matter of fact, he used it when he instituted the Lord's Supper. Moreover, he was, he was accused of being a drunkard. Did you know that? Jesus was accused of being a drunkard. Why is that? Well, because he hung out with the sinners and he drank. That's what he did. Uh, and we know that the cup that Jesus drank at the Lord's Supper was filled with wine because he instituted the Lord's Supper during Passover, at which they would have four cups of wine. They would have four cups of wine during that meal, and one of those cups was used to institute the Lord's Supper. He used one of them. And so we know that there was wine. And Paul refers to the cup that we drink as a cup of blessing, and that is because wine is a blessing to God's people throughout the Scriptures. If you read the Scriptures, wine is a blessing. And as a matter of fact, when the people of God don't have wine, it's because they are under the curse of God. Now, I'm not saying that we're under a curse because we don't use wine in uh, the Lord's Supper, but there is something to say about the fact that Jesus gave us wine and we use something else, right? He gave us wine and we use something else. Uh, Now, there may be times in the church when you're not able to use wine. That's understandable. Uh, Wine may not be prevalent in the land where you are. You may be poor and you can't afford wine or something like this. But in any other case, we should use what God has told us to in the Lord's Supper, right? We should use the things that he has told us to, and he gave us wine. We should use the things that God has said he is going to bless, right? Because again, God is communicating grace to us through this meal when we eat and when we drink together. Uh, and so we should use the things that he has told us to do in order to do that, right? It just, it just makes sense. And by the way, uh, God is very specific, and I've been saying this throughout the service, but God is very specific about the way he likes things done. He gives details on the way he likes things done, the way he wants stuff laid out. And if you don't think that's the case, go home and read the book of Leviticus after church today, and you will see that that is true. God is very detailed. God is very specific about the way he likes things done. So that is the parts. Those are the parts, right? Wine and bread. We now see the instructions, uh, and those are given to us in 23b through 25a. I'll start back in 23 again. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after uh, supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So the thing to notice here is the way that Jesus goes about the distribution of the elements. In Luke's account we read this morning, he is very explicit uh, about how Jesus went about doing this. He took the wine, or excuse me, he took the bread, 
He blessed it, and he broke it, and then he distributed it. And as Paul says here, he does the same thing with the cup. He took the cup, he blessed it, and then he uh, distributed it. So the first thing to notice is that Jesus does not give thanks for the bread and wine together. He does not take the bread and wine together on the table, bless them or consecrate them or set them apart or any other thing. And, uh, but he, he does, uh, there are these movements that he goes through. He takes, he blesses, he distributes. Takes, blesses, and distributes. And in every one of the gospel accounts, it is the same. Jesus takes the bread, he blesses the bread, and he distributes the bread. Uh, now, over the years, there's been this tradition passed down where the bread and wine are consecrated together uh, before the supper, uh, but we don't see any of that here. Again, uh, there are two separate movements in the supper. Jesus takes the bread and he gives thanks. The wine is taken and Jesus gives thanks. So we're not trying to perform any hocus-pocus here whenever we have this meal. As a matter of fact, in the uh, Catholic Church, when they perform this right, the, the, the priest would say, hoc es corpus meum in Latin, which means this is my body, and people, that kind of sounds like hocus pocus to us, right? And that's where the phrase hocus pocus comes from. When you hear hocus pocus, you think of something magical or something funny going on behind the scenes, and that is what the word originally, what it originally meant, and I think the people were using it as sort of a mockery of what was, what the Catholic Church said was going on when they blessed these elements. No, there is no hocus pocus here, but if you think about it, there's reason for conjecture when we take the, the elements, and we bless them, and then we set them back down on the table and leave them. We begin to think in our minds, well, what just happened there to those things? We set them apart, we con- and sit, sit there and look at it. What happened? Is there something different about those things now? And that is why this, uh, when you go about this in a specific way, uh, there's, no re- there's no place for confusion. And so we have to be careful about the way that we do it. Uh, there's nothing that is happening physically to the, to the bread and to the wine, uh, the Reformed view of the Lord's Supper is that there is a spiritual presence of the Lord Jesus Christ when we gather together. This is to say that God communicates the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to us when we eat bread and when we drink wine by faith. When we eat and drink by faith, God gives the grace to us. He mediates it to us by way of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> so what we are doing when we follow when we follow Jesus' example, is we are picking up the elements, giving thanks to God for it, and asking God to bless it to our bodies, much like we do when we have our regular meals, right? We take the elements, we lay them out on the table, we ask God to bless them, and we use, and use them to bless our bodies. And that is why we do it, because we want God to bless us. We want God to bless our food. And something very similar is happening here. We're giving thanks to God uh, for what he has done for us in the body of, uh, through the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he takes, the, when we do that, we take them and we thank God for them, he takes these very common and ordinary things, bread and wine, and when we eat them and drink them by faith, he does something very extraordinary in our lives spiritually. <clears throat> so something is happening, but it's happening by way of the Spirit, Right? Uh, it's, it's not a bare memorial. It's not as if nothing is happening here. Something is happening. Uh, and uh, I'll give further explanation of that when we go to the supper. Uh, we're going to have an object lesson here today in our sermon, if you will. We're actually going to have the Lord's Supper. Um, but uh, when we eat the bread and uh, when we drink the wine, God uh, is communicating these things to us. Um, another thing to notice here is that they are distributed separately. They are distributed 
separately. Okay, uh, Jesus takes the uh, bread, he blesses it, and then he distributes it, and then everybody eats, right? And after everybody has eaten, he takes the wine, and he blesses it, and then he distributes it. The elements are not mixed together, okay? So we got to be careful to keep the elements separate. In the church today, there's this practice has begun of taking the elements and mixing them together for the sake of convenience or practicality. Uh, there is a tradition started, uh, what is, which is known as uh, intinction, where you take the bread and you dip it into the cup. Take the bread and you dip it into the wine, and then you eat it. Some of you may have heard of this. Uh, but we cannot do that. We must keep them separate, because that is the way Jesus did it here in this meal. You must separate the elements, the bread and the wine. So that is the instructions. Uh, lastly, we see the uh, final product. So we have seen uh, the instructions. Uh, we have seen the parts, and now we see the uh, final product. In verses 25 and 26, we'll read that again. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. First of all, the thing to notice is that Jesus equivocates the cup here with the new covenant. Right? The new covenant, the cup is the new covenant in his blood. A new covenant is being enacted here by Jesus. And the Old Covenant meal was uh, the Passover, which the people celebrated uh, sort of in celebration of God's deliverance of them. It was their celebration of what God had done in delivering them from the bondage of their enemies in Egypt. And what Jesus is doing here is he is taking the Passover meal and he is redefining it in light of his coming sacrifice. He's taking the Passover meal and redefining it in light of of the coming sacrifice. At the Passover, that lamb uh, that was slaughtered and the blood that was put on uh, the doorpost to save the people or to shelter the people from the wrath of God that was coming was pointing to Jesus all along, Christ, who was slaughtered and whose blood was shed on the four corners of the cross. And so this is sacrificial language that Jesus uses here Throughout the institution, the breaking of the bread uh, points back to the animal that was that was broken up into pieces and separated and put on the altar during the ritual. And the pouring of the cup uh, points back to the blood that was separated from the animal and sprinkled and poured on and around uh, the altars. And in the old covenant, when God saw the blood on the doorpost, what did He do? He passed over. He passed over the people, and so it is in the new when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. So what we are doing is we are going through a sacrificial-like ritual when we break the bread and when we pour the cup. It's a ceremonial ritual that we are performing up here, and when we do this, we are bringing to remembrance uh, what Jesus has done for us. We are being reminded of what Jesus has done for us, and Not only are we being reminded of what God uh, has done for us in Christ, but God is being reminded. Most fundamentally, we are reminding God of the covenant that he's uh, he's made with us in Christ. We're showing forth the blood of Jesus Christ, as it were. Uh, you think about the rainbow that God put in the sky as a reminder that he would not flood the earth again. And we see that all the time, and we, we look at that and we say, oh, that reminds us that God has made a covenant with us, and he's not going to flood the earth. But the Bible says that God put that there to remind himself. 
not to destroy the earth with water again, to remind him of the covenant that he made with the human race. And it is the same thing here when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. God is reminded of what he has done for us in Jesus Christ. He's reminded that Christ has died for us. He's reminded that he has made a covenant with us in his blood. It is the new covenant. And when we go through this ritual, God renews covenant with us. Uh, week in and week out when we do this. And this is why the meal is so fundamental to a Christian worship. This is the place where God comes to us each week and he shows us that he is once again at peace with us. Or or he is at peace with us if we've been following him. Uh, but he is uh, kind of confirming or establishing that, sealing the fact that he is at peace with us. It is the capstone on the covenant renewal service, as it were. And Paul says here when... Uh, that we are to do this as often as we drink it. We are to do it as often as we drink it. And, and you may remember from our sermon back in, uh, in the book of Acts that every time the church got together, they had the Lord's Supper. Luke said that for that express purpose, they got together. And here uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 20, just prior to this, Paul says, when you gather together to have the Lord's Supper, it's not the Lord's Supper you're eating, assuming that they were gathering together to have the Lord's Supper. And so, first of all, they had the Lord's Supper in every one of their meetings. And Paul says uh, that as often as you drink it, so uh, every time they do it, whenever they gather together in their meetings and they have the Lord's Supper, the same thing is happening. God is coming and God is, uh, is being reminded of the covenant that he has made with us and he is renewing covenant with us. The same thing is happening regardless of uh, when we do it. Uh, finally, Uh, Paul says that when we eat the bread and drink the cup, we are proclaiming the Lord's death. What is that about? We're proclaiming the Lord's death. How do we proclaim the Lord's death when we eat the bread and drink the cup? Uh, That is when we go through the ceremony of breaking uh, bread and pouring the cup, of eating the bread and drinking the cup, we are saying something. We are proclaiming something, according to the Apostle Paul. We are saying something to God, and we are saying something to one another. And what is it? Well, Christ died for us. He died for us, and any time we do it, the same thing is happening. We are are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes, according to Paul. Uh, We are proclaiming that he has died for us in the past, in history, on the cross. He paid the debt for our sins, and that he is even with us today. He meets with us today here in our service presently, and that he's coming again for us in the future. And this is why it is so paramount that we are united together as one when we eat the supper, because we are proclaiming the gospel. We're saying something when we have the supper. The one loaf of bread represents the one body, the unified body, and we are to be agreed uh, when we meet together. There are not to be divisions among us, and that's one of Paul's main points in 1 Corinthians 11, that they were divided when they had the supper together. So we're saying something. We're saying that we are one. We are saying that we are one in Christ. We're saying that Christ has died for us. We are submitting to one another. We're serving one another. We're loving one another as Christ has loved us. We're proclaiming the gospel. It's a picture of the gospel, the way that we engage one another as a church. Again, it's a testimony. We are proclaiming something. We're proclaiming that Christ died for us, and so we ought to act like people for whom Christ died. Does that make sense? Right? Uh, we are forgiven people, and so we ought to act as if we are forgiven people and forgive one another, right? And love one another as he loved us and laid himself down for us, okay? So we are to be united and agreed, loving and serving and submitting to one another, 
proclaiming the gospel uh, uh, among one another and with one another as we have uh, the meal together. So, uh, in closing, we've seen that we have been given some explicit uh, details and instructions uh, on how we are to go about do this, uh, doing this, and that they are necessary for us to celebrate this meal and experience the grace that God offers to us uh, in the bread and the wine. He has given us the parts, the bread and the wine. He has given us the instructions on how we are to go about serving it, and he has told us what the result of uh, doing it in this way is. The final product, he renews covenant with us, and he shows us once again that he is at peace with us through the blood of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ.